So Shimon HaTzadik is, is buried there in the site north of the old city and is a place of pilgrimage of hundreds of thousands of Jews over the centuries. And that's why the Jews bought that property in 1875 because there were Arabs uh, that were taking re uh, uh, fees to let Jews go into the property. It was ridiculous. So they bought the property that Jews could access it freely and also built buildings so that poor Jews could live in that area. Folks, as you know, social media censorship is growing. The best way to support our video work for Israel is to subscribe to our video newsletter on pulseofisrael.com and to share our videos. If you are already a subscriber, then thank you. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pulse of Israel here in our eternal and ancestral homeland, the beautiful Judean hills of the land of Israel. Today we're going to be speaking about a hot topic that really should not be hot. It's a regular legal land ownership dispute with documentation of ownership of land owned by Jews in Jerusalem that the whole world has turned into a political hot potato trying to pressure Israel not to evict Arabs who are living in those properties without having even been paying rent for years to finally have them evicted because... Jewish-owned property. So we're going to be speaking right now with Chaim Silberstein, who is the founder and director of the Keep Jerusalem organization, which is a Jewish nonprofit that works to promote Jerusalem's unity and Jewish majority. And we'll hear all about, first, why is that? does that organization even exist, and his involvement in this case, and what why this shows the failure of Israel's justice system with their recent ruling, which is another ruling over decades of this legal battle. So let's bring in uh, Chaim. Shalom, shalom, Chaim. How are you? Great, Avi. Shalom, Shavuot Tov to you and Chodesh Tov. Shavuot Tov and Chodesh Tov as we enter this new month of Elul, preparing ourselves for the new Jewish year in, in a spiritual sense. Uh, it's a wonderful way to start off this new beginning of this new month with you, Chaim. I wish it was with more good news as opposed to a failure of our of our Supreme Court justice system here. But why don't we start off with this? Keep Jerusalem. What's what, give us the your 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 uh, the reason why this organization exists and what you do, and then we'll go into the specific uh, case. Sure, Avi. I've been involved with Jerusalem for over twenty five years. It's my passion, my love, as it is, I'm sure, most of your viewers. And uh, about uh, 15 years ago, I established Keep Jerusalem. In Hebrew, we call it Imesh Kachech, from Psalms 137, if I forget the old Jerusalem. And the goal is to be a mouthpiece, an advocate, to educate, and also to be involved in land reclamation, to keep Jerusalem a united city under Israeli sovereignty with a large Jewish majority. Okay, so what, but what, what's the issue about a Jewish majority? What, why do you have to work on that? So many of you viewers might not know, but today uh, Arabs uh, constitute about 40% of the population of Jerusalem. And that's growing. It's not getting less. Mostly because Jews are leaving Jerusalem because of inaffordable housing, uh, unaffordable housing and lack of employment opportunities. And lack of housing uh, in general, the supply of housing is not sufficient. 
So as a result, we see the demographic trend moving in the opposite direction that we'd like to see it. And in addition, we have a lot of other internal challenges to sovereignty, to governance. And these are the kinds of things that uh, Keep Jerusalem is involved with. And uh, one of the challenges to our sovereignty and our governance is this particular project, which the world knows as Sheikh Jarrah. That's the first fake news, right? The neighborhood that we're talking about is a Jewish neighborhood that was established over 140 years ago in 1875, purchased by the, by the two chief rabbis of Jerusalem at the time, intended for poor Jewish families that were living outside the old city at the time. The neighborhood called Sheikh Jarrah is an adjacent neighborhood next door that was established in the memory of an Arab doctor. But now the uh, Palestinian narrative, the far-left narrative, has copy-pasted and stuck the name Sheikh Jarrah on this Jewish neighborhood to give everybody the impression that it's actually an Arab neighborhood. And the name of that neighbor, the Jewish neighborhood from the, from the 19th century uh, is Shimon HaTzadik, named after the righteous Jew Shimon, who was actually buried there, and the neighborhood is built around uh, his burial spot, which is a place that, where Jews frequent to visit his grave. Correct. Shimon HaTzadik is a famous uh, a Jew, one of the few that has got, got the name Tzadik, righteous. He was a high priest in the Second Temple for 40 years, one of the longest periods ever. He was in uh, Atana, a very early Talmudic uh, uh, scholar. He was a famous guy. He also met Alexander the Great and persuaded him not to destroy Jerusalem. So Shimon Atzadik is, is buried there in the site north of the old city and is a place of pilgrimage of hundreds of thousands of Jews over the centuries. And that's why the Jews bought that property in 1875 because they were Arabs, uh, that were taking re uh, uh, fees to let Jews go into the property. It was ridiculous. So they bought the property that Jews could access it freely and also built buildings so that poor Jews could live in that area. So then what the, what's the legal dispute and why has this been going on for decades? Again, and I'm putting out there and you'll, you'll back me up, where the official documentation of deeds of the land have been proven time and time again by the Israeli courts to basically establish that, yes, it's Jewish-owned property, but yet this is an ongoing case for decades. Right. Actually ridiculous, as you said in the beginning. So let's just look at the timeline. So Jews lived in that area from 1875 onwards and uh, until 1948. And in 1948, you'll recall, in that area, just above the neighborhood, um, the, uh, there was a convoy of ambulances filled with nurses and doctors and patients. Uh, on, I think, the 13th of April, 1948, was, was ambushed and massacred right next to the neighborhood. The Hadassah Hospital Convoy. Correct. And 78 nurses and doctors and patients were murdered, brutally murdered by Arab terrorists, with the British just looking on. And that was right above the neighborhood. So a feeling of terror permeated the neighborhood, and the British went to the Jews who were living in the legally bought, they bought homes and said to them, you better get out. We're not willing to protect you. You're going to, be, you're going to be now massacred by those same people that massacred the nurses and doctors. And those Jews fled from their homes in fear of their lives. After the War of Independence, we know that Jordan illegally occupied Eastern Jerusalem and took over this neighborhood amongst other neighborhoods, the Old City, 
the Mount of Olives, the city of David. These were all areas, Jewish areas that were illegally occupied by the Jordanians. And the Jordanians, together with the collaboration of the United Nations, uh, took over the, the Shimon Atzadik neighborhood and housed so-called refugees, Arabs who had willingly left their homes of, in other places in Israel and taken on the status of a refugee and put them and housed them in the Jewish-owned homes. And, and that was basically the situation continued even after the Six-Day War uh, when we liberated this area and we liberated all of Eastern Jerusalem and be, it be, began a process which I was involved with together with Rav Beni Alon, uh, may his memory be, be blessed, and we, we came upon this neighborhood and we discovered that Arabs were living in, in these Jewish homes and began a, began a process of trying to redeem and reclaim these homes back to the Jewish people. So uh, in 2003, I put together a group of investors, international investors, who purchased the rights to this uh, four and a bit acre property, 17 Dunam property, from its original Jewish owners. There were two Jewish trusts that owned the property since 1875. This investment group purchased the property and began a process of uh, uh, researching and checking out the legal status of the Arabs living there and relocating them when possible and, and when it, uh, 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 it was legally or financially feasible. And you, you just mentioned something very important. You put together a group of investors to purchase the, this, this property, at, not from Arabs, but from the original Jewish owners of the property, even though Arabs were living there because of the 1948 independence war after the Jews were, were forced to flee. Correct. This is, uh, this is a very important point. There's been uninterrupted Jewish ownership on that property for 140 years. There was an Arab by the name of Hijazi who tried to claim that he, uh, he was the one that purchased that property and he submitted a kushan, a, a deed um, that was dated, I think, 1897. He submitted it to the Israeli courts to try and prove ownership. Fortunately, the judges in the courts uh, sent that document, that kushan, for a forensic test. And guess what? It came back completely forged. And that didn't deter them. And they kept us in court uh, for, for years, over 20 years. Uh, each time with a different claim, some of the time the court uh, uh, approved evictions and more than 15 families have been evicted from the neighborhood. And that's why today we've got over 20 Jewish families living in the neighborhood. But they have not given up and they keep on appealing to the Supreme Court. And this is the situation right now that there are four families who are appealing to the Supreme Court. And they began a very, very intense public relations campaign supported by the highest echelons of governments around the world, including President Joe Biden, including Secretary Blinken, including the, United, the, East, the European Union, and intense, intense pressure has been brought upon the Israeli government, the Israeli court system, and the Israeli public opinion that, that they have reversed the situation. And these illegal squatters have now become the victims and the Israeli and Jewish owners are now, have now become the aggressors. Yeah, anyone following uh, the news and social media, you see the, the, the graphics, the memes, the news items, 
painting the, the Arabs who are living there illegally as if they are uh, as if they're they're the victims and Israel is ethnically cleansing Jerusalem of Arabs as if this is a government policy and anyone actually who looks at Israel looks at the demographics and sees the growth of the Arab population not just in Jerusalem but throughout Israel in Judea and Samaria and in Gaza can, can, can only laugh when when people in the headlines are saying that Israel is doing genocide and ethnic cleansing we are the worst at it, even if we were trying, and we're not trying. It's a total lie, and the proof of their population growth uh, is uh, is proof of that. So, what is so for years? This has been going around the courts. Those families are still not evicted. Um, what just happened last week? What's what's the in, the latest injustice from our own justice system, from our own Supreme Court in Jerusalem? So this again was a very uh, smartly orchestrated effort by the lawyers and the Palestinian Authority and those left-wing organizations that support these people to try, to try and divide up Jerusalem, because in the end, this is a battle for Jerusalem. It's not just a legal battle. And they got to another hearing in the Supreme Court. And to, to my great disappointment, the Supreme Court, in my eyes, has capitulated to the international pressure, to threats of terrorism and violence, and has tried to suggest what they call a compromise, uh, which is in effect a, a, a capitulation to this pressure, again against any legal principles that even a, a layman would understand, and offered a so-called compromise, which basically said that these illegal squatters would, would receive protected tenant status, uh, would continue to be considered protected tenants, even though they were offered that status in the past, refused it, refused to pay rent, refused to receive compensation, built illegally on that on their property, which all are reasons to lose protected tenant status, even if you had it in the first place. And yet the court returned and continued to offer such a solution or what a so-called compromise. And, uh, and, and it gave the, the Arab tenants a week to, or more, I'm not sure, two weeks, to consider their answer, which we haven't yet heard a final answer from them. But in my mind, this is a stain on the usually respected legal system in Israel to show that the law has been trampled on by international pressure, both from friendly countries and from our enemies. Yeah, no. It, 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 on the one hand, you say, "Wait, what would they? What would they be deciding without the international pressure?" But then there's the additional international pressure, and anyone here in Israel knows our court system is extremely influenced by the public by the public uh, opinion generated by the establishment media, and the left is always working hard with their narrative against Israel, against Jewish rights, and always. Uh, it's not just the international media, it's even Israelis, Israeli media painting the Arabs as the victims regardless of fact, regardless of truth. But here you have the whole world putting pressure, like you said, Joe Biden, Secretary of State Blinken, the European Union, uh, I'm sure the United Nations also behind it, putting tremendous pressure uh, to basically negate Jewish rights. And How Yes, absolutely. And uh, you can see the concerted effort. I was interviewed last week by the Washington Post, and you just see the article is completely and utterly one-sided. There's not even an effort to be objective. There's not even an, et an effort to tell the truth. And I, and I castigated the reporter 
a Jewish woman who reports for the Washington Post, I said, you know, I can understand your bias, but why lie? You know, have you lost all sense of decency and honesty in reporting? Are you, have you killed the, the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, uh, journalism? And her answer was, well, I'm, I'm objective. And it's just, for example, she put the words Sheikh Jarrah in my mouth in this, in this article. And as I said in the beginning, this neighborhood is not Sheikh Jarrah. But the people have to create a false narrative in order to, to sway public opinion that the Jews are living in an Arab neighborhood. And this is just, it's, it's, it's contemptible. It's just very frustrating. Yeah, you, you just see an escalation of, um, of the narrative. For instance, in Judea and Samaria all the time, still uh, we're being told we're stealing the Arab lands. Like Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria are built upon the ruins of destroyed Arab communities. Anyone familiar with Judea and Samaria knows that there is a vast amount of empty land here and all the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria were built on empty hilltops. No Arab communities were destroyed in Judea and Samaria for Jewish communities. Yet you see that lie. And now you're see, and then they go, oh, you have to do things legally. Sometimes things are built not, not, not legally. Well, we all know the law. We all know how, how things work with governance and, and rules of municipalities, not just in Israel, but around the world. Sometimes corners are cut. Sometimes it takes a long time for permission to, uh, official permission to come, but things start along. So Israel like, tries its best to be above and beyond following the law for building in Judea and Samaria. It takes forever to get permission for Jews to build, even though Arabs build illegally all the time. And here, you're talking about official documents for over close to 150 years showing Jewish ownership of land, and now they don't even care about the law. It's totally dismissing the actual law and misabusing, not, not, not misabusing justice, it's injustice in the name of justice, totally disregarding law and factual, historical, legal documents upon which the legal decisions should be made. And it's like you, you put your hands in the air, wait, how are we supposed to win? How are we supposed to win? We're trying our best to go according to the, we always try our best. Now, even more, and we're, we're going according to the law. We have all the documents, and even with the law on our side, even with the documents, then not only is the world against us, but our own, our own justice system is against us. How, how are we supposed to win, Chaim? So, first of all, we need to increase uh, significantly the audience of Pulse of Israel and other uh, pro-Israel, pro-Jerusalem uh, outlets because we know that the mainstream media has a very, very sick virus that I don't think they're going to recover from. And, uh, and we need to learn how to bypass them and get the facts out. I'll give you a good example of how they've created a false narrative to, uh, to try and instill a sense of, of sympathy and empathy with the poor Arab squatters in the Shimon Atzadik neighborhood. So the, the, the main actor who's been financed by left-wing organizations worldwide his name is Muhammad Al-Kurd, and he's sold his story to hundreds of millions of people. It's unbelievable. If you check, if you Google him, you'll see he's in every um, news uh, uh, outlet from Japan to, to Alaska about this poor guy. And I just decided to research his history because they, they pitted him as a refugee from Haifa who fled the IDF and, uh, and landed up being a refugee in, in, in this home that the Jews, you know, willingly fled from 
and now was, was housed by the UN. So let's just do a few fact checks. I found out, you know, Avi, that the, the absolute majority of Arabs that left Haifa in 1948 actually left Haifa before the war, right? They left from November, around about November 1947 to about March 1948. We all know that the war only started after Israeli declared independence in, in the middle of May 1948. So these Arabs willingly left Haifa. And in November 47. Right, in November 47 up to March of 1948. They willingly left. They never, ever saw an Israeli soldier before they left their homes. So why did they leave their homes? Because the Arab enemy suggested to them to leave their homes so that they could go in and finish the job without them getting harmed. So in other words, they're not refugees. They are actually enemies of Israel because they left their homes to join the enemies of Israel so that their enemies could destroy the nascent Israeli state and they could go back unharmed. And this is a person that gets the status of a refugee. He's a criminal. He's a war criminal, right? And that's why, by the way, Avi, they forfeited, forfeited their homes. And the, the international press and even in Israel try to, to, to create a symmetry between the poor Jews in, in Shimon Atzadik who were murdered, who were raped, who evicted from their homes illegally by an illegal Jordan occupation. And they try to find symmetry because between those Arabs that willingly left their homes to join the enemy and to destroy Israel. And they say, well, the Jews left their homes so the, and the Arabs left their homes. They were both forced out. So let's just leave, you know, call it quits and let the Jews stay in West Jerusalem and the Arabs in East Jerusalem. This is fake news. And we've got to battle this the, uh, in, the, in the courtroom and in the international field of opinion and, uh, and attitudes and Hasbara so that we can try to get the truth out. And thank you very much for giving me this platform to, to describe that and explain it. Oh, for sure. And, and just to add to that, I mean, just recently, this is a tweet on August 2nd by some journalist, a uh, Palestinian Arab journalist who lives in Jerusalem by the name of Mohammed El-Kurd. He's talking about Israeli judges. He's complaining about Israeli Supreme Court judges, right? Saying that all these judges are colonializers, right? Regardless of where they live, right? Even if they live in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or who knows, they're all colonializers, which already you see the narrative that... With the Jews don't belong anywhere in Israel. It's not just about Jerusalem. It's not just about Eastern Jerusalem. It's not just about Judea and Samaria. Anywhere in Israel, they're, we're considered colonializers. And then he goes and says, this entire regime, meaning Israel, was built on the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians and the rubble of our stolen lands. Sheikh Jarrah is not an anomaly. Every Israeli city was once our neighborhood. To which I responded, I, I, I basically retweeted, I said, really? Sheikh Jarrah was the Jewish neighborhood of Shimon Tzadik before the Arabs moved in. Tel Aviv was sand dunes. The settlements in Judea and Samaria were empty hilltops. Stop lying and being a crybaby cry for failing to destroy Israel with over 100 years of terror and war. Again, you see, a best defense is a good offense and calling them out for whoever is willing to listen and actually does care about the truth. And that, that's the war we're up against. Well, Avi, you just mentioned Mohammed al Kurd. He's the guy that I mentioned. He's one of the families that is is ap applying to the Supreme Court not to be evicted. And, oh, and he, he has two hundred thirty thousand followers on Twitter, following these these absolute lies right. against Israel. 
And he, all he is, he's a criminal. And he's been given international recognition, international validation, and it's, and it's unfortunately, it's wokeness, anti-Semitism, it's ignorance, it's misinformation, and we got to do our best to get the truth out there so that people can know the real story. 100%. I'm with you, and you know I'm a partner and a big supporter of all, all the important work you do for Keep Jerusalem. I just want to finish up to focus on our internal Jewish-Israel issue, which is our own Supreme Court. Here we can complain about the press all over the world, the pressure and, and, their, and their lying narrative, but how is it that our own Supreme Court is dismissing and willingly disregarding law and legal documentation when coming upon and, and w w with this injustice of theirs? Well, um, I think we, we know, for those of you that are familiar with the legal system in Israel, Justice uh, Barak uh, years ago started the whole process of judicial activism. And that meant that the courts intervene in every single uh, process in Israel, uh, legislative process, um, executive process, and they don't only stay in the judicial process, which is their real uh, area. And this continues today. And the only way to solve that is to do what's basically has been done in the United States, and that is to move more conservative and more representative judges of, a, of the wider area of society into the Supreme Court. That's a process that has begun. Ayala Chaked, when she was Justice Minister, uh, started that and moved more uh, judges in. Gidon Saar, who's now the Justice Minister, is planning to do the same thing. And whoever is in government, uh, I hope, uh, on the right-wing side, will continue to add on conservative thinkers and a wider representation of Israeli society, for example, not the Ashkenazi uh, elitists, but also people that are religious, people that are from Sephardi backgrounds, more representative, and hopefully then we'll see a, a drop in judicial activism and a reflection of, of fairer uh, uh, law, and especially in our case, we, we hope that we'll see they will not capitulate to the extreme leftist international pressure. It's interesting that you brought up in terms of uh, the actual makeup of uh, Israel's Supreme Court. Again, majority of the Supreme Court justices are of the left-wing progressive woke ideology and hence their leanings, not based on law, but based on their own uh, value system. I just read an article, love to hear your insight on this, uh, where basically it explained how Chief Justice Aaron Barak, who, as you mentioned, brought and in, 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 in brought in judicial activism to take over the court system in Israel, his methodology of ensuring that most, if not all, the court cases went according to his left progressive agenda was he basically stacked the judges accordingly to ensure that there was always a majority of judges that went according to his ideology. And that's how all the, ca the court cases were, were judged according to his activism, leftist progressivism. Esther Chayut, a Supreme Court judge, uh, for those who know, Aaron Barak is no longer Supreme Court justice, justice for many years, but those who've taken on, uh, who've replaced him have followed his uh, judicial activism. Yet Esther Chayut actually instituted something else. She tried to play along and she changed the rules. She allowed the, the judges to be stacked randomly for cases, so many more cases ended up having conservative judges that ended up having a majority ruling for 
actual legal uh, legal decisions and not based on the judicial activism according to their leftist ideology. But what did Esther Chayut change? She used a different legal tool to get all those cases overturned, which is that anyone can uh, request or she can request, I don't know exactly the legal ease about it, to have an additional uh, court case even after the initial one is decided upon. So anytime there is a court case of, let's say, three judges and two were conservatives and they voted according to the law, well, then Esther Chayut just allows for there to be a new court case based on a, a nine judges or 11 judges where the majority is the leftist progressive judicial activists and all the, the decisions that were made according to the conservative judges are then overturned meaning that even with more conservative judges in the system, it's not succeeding because they're just coming up with new legal tricks to overturn any decision they do not want to happen. Any any insight into that? Because it looks like, according to that, we're going to have to wait until there is a, a staunch majority of conservative judges in the Supreme Court, that even if it's 13 or 15 judges, again, I don't remember the exact numbers, it's always going to have a majority of, of, of leftist uh, activists to overturn all decisions that are pro-Zionist, pro-Jewish, and actually according to the written law. Yes, well, you know, we waited 30 years until we had a right-wing government in Israel. Um, the Labour controlled the government, the Knesset, until 1977 when Menachem Begin, Zichonor came in, and then from then on, basically, except for short periods of time, the right-wing uh, center-right has controlled the Knesset most of the time. But we still haven't yet learned the lesson, it appears, both in the media and in the, in the court system, the importance of, of uh, moving in uh, people and, and democratizing, if you wish, those systems. It's not that we necessarily want to make them right-wing. We just want to make them representative of the Israeli public. And if the Israeli public has a large majority of right-wing people, which it appears that there is center-right people, then both in the media and in the legal system, it should be represented, representative of those people. And so we need more patience. And we, we hope that the uh, justice ministers and the people in the political system will be uh, 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 careful enough and wise enough to get the right judges appointed and the, the the committee for appointment of judges is a very critical committee those decisions were made in the last two weeks and so far that committee is leaning towards right does have a right-wing majority and we hope that there are about nine judges that are going to be appointed in the next uh, couple of years and we hope that the majority of those judges will reflect a broader spectrum of israeli society we, be, we need to be a li little bit more patient and I hope that, that they will be successful and we will see the democratization of the judicial system and the uh, stopping of this judicial left-wing activism, which is only harming Israel and Jewish society. Very, very good point and very good message of patience. Things take time. Changes take time. And just to give, let people have a better, a better understanding about how politicized Israel's Supreme Court is, there is a sad joke that doesn't call Israel Supreme Court the Supreme Court, but in Hebrew they call it Mifleget Bagatz, or the Supreme Court Political Party. It's actually a political 
actor as a party um, in in directing and deciding politics, not not an independent legal branch, but an actual political actor um, overtaking the existing esta- uh, political uh, establishment of uh, of the Knesset. Chaim, thank you so much for all the important work you do. Keep us posted on everything going on with this uh, Shimon HaTzadik Sheikh Jarrah case. We are looking forward to seeing more and more Jewish families move into Jewish-owned homes, whether historically Jewish or purchased by Jewish owners, because there's no problem for a Jew to purchase a property, whether owned by a Jew or an Arab, and then move in. And just for some people to understand, Arabs buy Jewish properties in Jerusalem all the time. All someone has to do is go, for instance, to the community of Jerusalem called French Hill, which used to be a totally Jewish community, but over the past two decades has been has seen a huge influx of Arab families buying properties from Jews and moving in, and that's totally legal and totally fine, and it, plenty of Arabs legally own homes in, in French Hill today. There's, if there's no problem for an Arab to buy a Jewish property and live there according to the law, there is no problem for a Jew to buy an Arab property and live in that property after the legal uh, agreement of a land purchase. And that is information that is not given out there, is not presented by the world media. So now you know, everybody, follow us for the truth. Chaim, thank you so much. If I can just say one more statement. Please, please. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned, I'm also involved in land reclamation and I was involved with the Shimon HaTzadik purchase and other purchases in this area. You should know that recently the Arabs are making immense efforts to buy Jewish property. This uh, did not happen 10 or 20 years ago. They used to try to prevent Jews from buying Arab properties, but now the Arabs are offering two to three times the price to buy out the Jewish-owned properties and prevent the Jews from reclaiming their own properties from uh, from Arabs that are legally squatting on them. This is a new phenomenon, and that's why our organization is trying to purchase these properties as quickly as possible. We're looking for potential investors. We're looking for people to support us so that we can win this battle for strategic areas in Jerusalem like Shimon HaTzadik. So if you want to get more information, you can visit our website, keepjerusalem.org, sign up for our, our newsletter, a lot of our land reclamation stuff we do under the radar screen. But if you contact us, we'll be happy to supply you with information. And hopefully you can become a partner in the redemption of Jerusalem. And final point or question, just to enlighten people with more information. Much of this money that is being used by Arabs to purchase Jewish properties in Jerusalem it's not necessarily coming from those families. If I'm not mistaken, it's coming from the Arab Muslim world, from, from Saudi Arabia or other Arab countries financing with their oil money to purchase Jewish properties and buy up Jerusalem. Is that correct? Correct. When I mentioned earlier that there are challenges of sovereignty and governance on Jerusalem, which is what our organization is trying to educate and write policy about, you find that there are major powers around the world, in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, like Turkey, like Qatar, like Morocco, like Saudi Arabia, who actively interfere and intervene in uh, real estate and in politics in Jerusalem. The Temple Mount is obviously your best uh, example here, but not only. And we have lost properties to groups of businessmen from Qatar, from Morocco, uh, who, who are buying and, uh, and redeeming from their point of view Jewish properties. So that is a big danger to Jerusalem. 
and it's part of the process of uh, fighting against uh, the, the, the loss of sovereignty and the loss of govern, governance in Jerusalem. And that's why the Shimon Atzadik court case, it's so critical that we win it. Because if we don't, God forbid, it will be another uh, milestone for the, the Arab onslaught onto Jerusalem. And it's not good news for us. Chaim, thank you so much for the important work. And everyone, go to keepjerusalem.org, correct? Correct. All right, everyone, go visit keepjerusalem.org to find out more information about the important work Chaim and his organization is doing to keep Jerusalem uh, Jewish. And understand, majority Jewish means ensuring Jerusalem be a safe place for every person, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, atheist, Buddhist, whatever. Because the second there is no Jewish majority in Jerusalem and it's under Islamic control, well, it would basically turn into a city like any other Muslim city where there is no equal rights, no free rights. There's rights for you if you're Muslim and second-class citizens if you're not. So to ensure freedom and equality for all citizens of Jerusalem, it is for the benefit of everyone that Jerusalem remains Jewish. So go check out keepjerusalem.org. Thank you so much, Chaim. Thank you, Avi. Amen. And again, a good month and a good year to all of us. Amen. Amen. All right, everyone. I hope you are enlightened by learning all this information in general, but also specifically about this case, Shimon HaTzadik Sheikh Jarrah, which is taking making headline news around the world where the world is using it to bash Israel and make us look out to be the bad guys, but in, in both historically, legally, uh, morally, the houses belong to Jews. It's Jewish property. Jews should be, be able to live there. The Arabs should, who have not been paying rent for decades should be evicted like any land issue. But it, as you can tell, it's a major, major issue, and we're dealing with our own injustice from our own justice system here in Israel. Follow us for the truth at Pulse of Israel, everyone. If you are not yet a subscriber, click on pulseofisrael.com and subscribe to sign off. So signing off for another episode here in our eternal and ancestral homeland. This is Avi Abler for the Pulse of Israel. Thanks for watching. Shalom, everybody. Pulse of Israel, frontline videos from the Holy Land. Support our work by donating today.